The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brooks Show starts now. Hi, everybody. It's Yaron Brook, and uh, we're in the Blaze Radio Network. I assume everybody's following what's uh, what is happening in uh, in uh, Houston. It's uh, it's pretty devastating and uh, pretty sad to see kind of the the devastation that's occurring over there and the uh, the extent of the uh, of the damage and uh, loss of life and uh, property. I mean, I, we probably won't know how bad all of this is uh, for another I don't know a few. Uh, you know, a few days, uh, a few uh, weeks, uh, it's really going to be hard to tell. I mean, it's uh, the magnitude of what is going on is uh, is pretty uh, is pretty scary. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about hurricanes, about um, ability to sustain hurricanes. I want to talk about the um, flood insurance, the government flood insurance program. Uh, which is uh, which is substantial and problematic uh, on on many different fronts, and uh, you know, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, uh, flood insurance, the government provided flood insurance, and that how is that, and and how that's in many regards, in many respects, uh, creating a uh, a much worse uh, situation out there, and. Uh, and then, uh, and you know, we'll see where that takes us. Uh, but uh, first, our, our thoughts uh, with the people in Houston and uh, with all those people who are in uh, flooded areas and who've evacuated and uh, are going to be returning to their homes at some point here. Uh, and um, you know, I I, uh, I hope the damage and the loss of life is a lot less than what it appears to be right now. So. Uh, uh, we will we will see it it looks pretty nasty and it looks pretty bad based on uh, all the reports but you know the reports also have a tendency uh, to exaggerate things ultimately what sells the news is is tragedy and catastrophe so there is an element of exaggeration but you know we have to remember Katrina and remember the damage and uh, how long it took to figure out how bad things really were uh, during Katrina so um, stay tuned we will see how devastating! How devastating this flood really is. Uh, just to just to put it uh, somewhat in, um, I guess, in perspective. Um, probably the worst hurricane to I think the worst hurricane to ever hit the United States hit in a in a very close area to where this hurricane hit. It was in uh, Galveston, Texas, in 1900, uh, so 100 and. Uh, 117 years ago, almost to the date. It was in early September, so about a week off. It, it hit Galveston, and uh, that hurricane caused the deaths of um, of over ten, somewhere between eight to ten thousand people. So somewhere between eight to ten thousand people uh, were were died as a consequence of that hurricane. Uh, Galveston was utterly destroyed, devastated. This was a booming, booming town. Uh, it uh, it was a, a boom town because it it had a port 
Texas, uh, you know, the oil industry and everything else, where, where Texas generally was booming and Galveston was enjoying that. Now, Galveston was built on ground on kind of an island that is barely, barely uh, above sea level. I think the numbers are it's at like 8.7 feet above sea level was the highest point in Galveston. And the the surge from the hurricane was was uh, higher than that and, and just basically completely devastated um devastated the town 10,000 people died in uh, in Galveston as a result of that hurricane it's interesting kind of to to understand why that is why the devastation was so um significant for the uh for the Galveston hurricane and and indeed why devastation for future hurricanes is is likely and and this hurricane is likely to be significantly less at least that's what we hope we hope we don't get anyway close to 10,000 people dying and and no hurricane has uh since uh i think i think katrina which in modern times is the worst hurricane we've ever had in terms of fatalities uh is uh, 1800 people lost their lives in in katrina so nothing has really come close to the galveston um to the Galveston devastation, um, and it, it is kind of interesting to, to speculate as to why, and, and you know, there's a number of reasons for that. One is that the location, you know, it was it was on an island, it was above sea level, there wasn't planning, but also uh, they only had one day of warning. They only have one day of warning before the hurricane actually hit. Uh, Galveston. So, uh, so it was, it was uh, devastating. It was somewhat of a surprise. Uh, people didn't have time to prepare for it. I mean, even this hurricane that just hit uh, is, uh, is a hurricane that we didn't get as much time as we usually get because it, it kind of developed very, very quickly off the shore. But there was still time to evacuate uh, some of the some of the islands off the shore of Texas, there was time to ev- evacuate some of the low lying um, areas in um, in Texas that were going to get hit the hardest. And as a consequence, uh, you know, it's it's likely that uh, some lives were saved as a consequence of uh, of all that. So uh, uh, so it's partially the fact that. We didn't have any kind of warning warning systems back then. There was uh, the the weather. There was no weather channel. There were no uh, uh, hurricane. Uh, you know, airplanes flying through hurricanes. There was no satellite imagery of uh, storms developing. We have so much notice. Technology has made the world so much safer for human beings. And of course, this is a point Alex Epstein makes from the Center of, for Industrial Progress. Uh, who comments a lot on um, on these kind of uh, uh, natural disasters, particularly weather-related natural disasters, and our and our ability and our, uh, our readiness uh, to deal with those kind of uh, those kind of natural disasters? And the fact is, we have this amazing technology, amazing technology that allows us to see what's coming, to prepare for what's coming. And to evacuate uh, areas that are going to be particularly hard hit. Now, Houston was not evacuated, partially because the idea was that that having how many people live in the in in those counties? I think it's six point five million people live in Houston and the adjacent counties. And the idea was to have six point five million people on the road as the hurricane hit, because this hurricane developed so quickly. It developed in the 
in the Gulf of Mexico, it, it, it wasn't really a hurricane that you could see coming from a distance. And uh, having all those people, at least this is the reason that state of Texas gives, all those people on the road would have been a, uh, a complete and utter disaster uh, for uh, in terms of uh, lives, in terms of uh, uh, p- placing people at risk. So uh, most people stayed and, uh, you know, hopefully – Hopefully that turned out to be the right call, and uh, people staying is not going to not going to endanger their lives and and cause too much devastation. Um, so even Galveston, if if you go back to the in the history, even Galveston uh, was uh, the the city of Galveston was raised uh, seventeen feet. Uh, the the whole island, in a sense, was raised seventeen feet. And uh, they built a seawall uh, to protect from future surges. So uh, even in Galveston, there was a there was an actual response to the um, to the hurricane, a technological response, a response of man changing his environment, changing the islands, so that when a future hurricane came it would be a, uh, a lot less devastating uh, to the people there. So uh, human beings, we're smart. We have, uh, we have uh, uh, brains. Uh, we, we can change the world around us. We can adapt. We can make the world safer for us so that future hurricanes uh, are less damaging. So, so one aspect of this is, um, is, is technology, is the ability to forecast, is the ability to see it coming. In Galveston, they had one-day notice. One day notice. Um, it's also uh, knowledge now of history, which areas are more prone to hurricanes and where is it likely to hit uh, in, in devastating fashion. And then, um, and then our ability to kind of change our environment to make our environment safer for us. And we'll talk more about that. We're going to talk more about that after the break. And, you know, if you're interested in joining the conversation or if you, if you live in Texas and Want to share some experiences about what's going on right now? 1-888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. We're talking Hurricane Harvey, Texas, the response, FEMA, flood insurance. We'll get into all of that as the hour progresses. Uh, you're listening to the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be back. Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. To the Yaron Brook Show. All right, this is Yaron Brook, and we're talking about this uh, devastating hurricane in Texas. Um, so, first, our thoughts are with all the people suffering from this unbelievable rain that's coming down, and the winds have already devastated much of coastal Texas. Now it's rain and, and ultimately flooding that is causing, uh, you know, causing uh, probably loss of life, unfortunately a lot of property uh, destruction, a, a lot of devastation. And really, it's it's going to be a test of uh, Houston's infrastructure. And, and uh, probably more than anything else, think about all the refineries, think about 
other industry. Houston is a very industrial city. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see the, the, the massive um, oil storage uh, facilities there. And uh, there's been, in the past, there's been a lot of talk about what happens when there's a massive flood. What happens to those facilities? Is that going to cause oil to spill over? Is there going to be a massive, so you know, we'll call it uh, environmental, uh, you know, disaster here in terms of uh, oil spillage or or any kind of chemical spillage? Massive chemical plants. I don't know if you guys have been to Houston, but Houston is this massive industrial city. You know, the other thing about Houston that is worth pointing out is, is Houston is, is a city that doesn't really have any zoning. And um, so, uh, you know, you could have, you could have industry and residential and, and, and commercial and, you know, high rises and a hodgepodge of different places around, around the city. So it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting place and should be very interesting to watch, interesting and, and, and potentially sad to watch, uh, how it all plays out. But, um, you know, let's hope that uh, those industries have really secured all their facilities, that those industries secured uh, all those, uh, the chemicals and everything else, because you could add on to the flooding, the additional disaster of all those spillages would be, would be quite horrific. Uh, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're in Texas or uh, if, if you want to uh, discuss anything, any of this and, and, uh, Feel free to call in, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. You're listening to Ron Brooks Show. And um, we started talking about the fact that in Galveston, in 1900, 10,000 people died when that hurricane hits and how Galveston was completely unprepared. The technology at the time was such that when, it, when we were far more exposed to the weather, uh, than we are than we are today. So even though today there is far more population density, so there are far more people who are going to be affected by Hurricane Harvey than were affected by the hurricane uh, in Galveston. Today, because of of better forecasting, but primarily because of our ability to construct defenses against these hurricanes we are likely to see far fewer casualties and far, uh, you know, probably more, more property damage, but also not the level. I mean, Galveston was basically flat and nothing survived. You're probably not going to see that level of devastation. Um, we, we today have the technology to build better. We today have the technology, uh, you know, to protect ourselves. We have uh, the technology to build things that are resistant to 130 mile an hour wind, although uh, there were some pictures of some buildings that that came down from those winds that that uh, uh, you know didn't were not built well enough or or, or, or you know the, the winds were unexpected or the direction of the winds was unexpected and everything. One of the things that uh, so you've got you've got amazing um, amazing technology today at place, both to predict, forecast, warn. Um, you can, you keep a lot of people evacuated, particularly the most dangerous places where people evacuated those places. So you're not going to see uh, that again in, in, um, a hurricane in the Galveston hurricane. They had one day to prepare. Uh, and, uh, of course, our technology allows us to build these safe and sound places. And this is why while, while weather is, um, 
is da- potentially dangerous, right? Uh, radical, not radical, extreme weather situations where you have massive quantities of rain or you have these devastating winds or you have a, uh, the sea levels rising because of some um, activity of weather. We, as human beings, are actually quite able to protect ourselves against this and, and quite able to build buildings that protect ourselves, build um, infrastructure that, that, that is protected. I, I suspect that if more of our infrastructure was private, this would be done even better, and we'll get to flood insurance in a little bit. Um, and uh, we're quite able to cope with these natural disasters. And natural disasters are natural disasters. The disasters called by, by nature. I mean, you, for all of you out there who love Mother Earth, uh, Mother Earth likes to beat up on her kids once in a while. Um, there is no Mother Earth, and there are no kids to Mother Earth, but you, you get the, you get the, uh, the reference. All right, if, if you want to call in, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. So uh, uh, major hurricane, major flooding. Uh, I did see some news coverage uh, from, from Houston just this morning. Uh, the flooding is pretty devastating, but what was interesting was, was lights were on, um, it looks like some of the power utilities uh, are hanging on and, and, and doing okay. Cell coverage uh, was was pretty strong. That is, uh, people were able to communicate. It turns out Twitter is one of the main ways in which uh, people are letting people know and uh, people are sending out uh, about distress and about needing help. So Twitter, uh, private enterprise, the whole inf- internet uh, infrastructure, the... the um, the cell phone towers, the cell phone companies uh, are doing relatively well. So uh, that's good news. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, thank God, uh, thank God the government is not, uh, doesn't own those cell towers and doesn't actually run our cellular infrastructure and our internet infrastructure. Uh, but, uh, you know, but let's hope that people, people stay safe and, uh, and that there are enough emergency personnel there to be able to help people. Uh, who are in trouble? Uh, it, it sounds like the Texas is really uh, mobilized. They've got two thousand uh, Texas National Guards. You've got Coast Guard helicopters everywhere. Uh, but this is going to take days because you know flooding. Flooding is because of often because of rain somewhere else. It's not even because of rain where you are. So rain, uh, you know, in the in the hill country in Texas flows downstream towards the Gulf and flows through, much of it flows through Houston and those, some of those coastal communities. So they're going to get uh, pounded uh, over the next few years with, with potentially more flooding and, and repeated flooding and, and devastating floods. So we'll just have to see. It, it's very hard to tell news reporting at these disasters. Uh, sometimes they seem to underreport how bad things are. I think that happened with Katrina. You know, it took us days to really realize how devastating Katrina was. And sometimes they over-report because, you know, tragedy and disaster sell. And and uh, and uh, they, they overdo it. And the 24-hour, 24-7 news coverage tends to kind of uh, overdo this and, and make us more worried than we should be. But this looks like a pretty ser- – this looks like a very uh, serious event and therefore, um, uh, you know – thinking about the people who are struggling there and, and uh, hoping they all uh, they, they do well and uh, that uh, uh, that they find a way out of this. All right, uh, we have got, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about flood insurance, federal flood insurance, and uh, we'll be back right after these messages. 
Huron. Brock. On the Blaze Radio Network. talking today about the uh this massive hurricane that hit texas the uh the flooding uh and uh i want to get into a discussion of uh, flood insurance and and uh how that distorts everything everything out there and uh fema and everything else it, we talked about earlier we talked about how even with the fact that there's so much population concentrated in a place like houston we're still unlikely to see the kind of devastation that we saw in 1900 because of the kind of technology we have. And, and this goes to this question of kind of global warming, climate change, that even if, you know, and, and everybody's going to blame the storm on climate change, even though there's zero, 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 zero evidence of that fact. But even if there was, uh, even if even if it's true that carbon fuels are causing climate change and climate change is going to cause more hurricanes like this. It's also true, and, and this is much more important, that those fossil fuels are making it possible to d- protect us from these kind of devastating uh, uh, natural disasters. That is, the, it's the fossil fuels that make it possible for us to put satellites into space. It's the fossil fuels that make it possible for us to build better, more resilient buildings. It's a fossil fuel that makes it possible to evacuate people. It's a fossil fuels that are running those helicopters looking that the, that the Coastal Guard is, is using to try to evacuate people. It is fossil fuels everywhere in our lives that makes it possible for us to, to, to bear the brunt of what nature dishes out so much better than we ever have, have as human beings in the past. And it's fossil fuels that are ultimately the reason why there will be relatively fewer, still there will be some casualties, but relatively few casualties as compared to, let's say, the hurricane of 1900 that just flattened Galveston and completely destroyed it. So even if you could make the connection to climate change, my response is, who cares? We're ready and equipped. And if anything, if we could just get, if we could just get our economy to to be more privatized, as we'll talk about, to to to, to it would respond even better to these kind of uh, disasters. Uh, and and uh, the number of casualties from hurricanes and other natural disasters would actually decline substantially uh, as a as a consequence. Uh, now, these are all points, by the way, made by uh, excellently, brilliantly by Alex Epstein in his book, uh, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. So I, I, I highly recommend I had Alex on the show last week when I was filling in for Michael Pelka, uh, and uh, he makes this point brilliantly in the book. So I, I strongly recommend uh, that you buy The Moral Case for Fossil Fuel. All right, we're going to take a, a quick call. Richard from Miami is calling. Hi, Richard. Hi, Arn. Um, actually, it sounds like you answered most of my question because I woke up to reports this morning that the the amount of rainfall in this situation is um, record levels over 500 years. Yeah, I don't know how they know what happened 500 years ago. Well, don't you know, don't you know that Gallatin, the uh, how much that rain the, uh, that American Indians kept detailed records of uh, of rainfall? <laughs> 
Oh, no, I mean, the Spanish might have. In some areas, the Spanish might have. So there might be actual records of rainfall in, in some places. But, but yeah, I mean, that sounds a little ridiculous, and it is a little ridiculous. But but so what is my argument? I mean, I don't know. Maybe this right. is the largest rainfall in 500 years in that particular part of the world. I think I think more rain than that drops in in what's that one mountain in in Maui in Hawaii the the wettest place on the planet or something like that. I mean, that's it doesn't matter, right? And even if it is the worst, you can't prove you can't extrapolate from that impact of climate change. You can't extrapolate almost anything from that. Five hundred years is a nanosecond from the perspective of the the uh, history of the planet of planet earth so I, what about 16,000 years ago maybe more rain dropped back then um you know i'm not an expert on the geological history of of the earth but wasn't texas like underwater at some point or so uh, to tell us that something is 500 years or once in a 500 years occurrence okay Stuff happens once every five hundred years. Bad stuff happens once every five years. But to to, to extrapolate from that to uh, climate change or to to man made anything is just absurd and shows how little how little people um, think in terms of uh, history. Five hundred years sounds like a long time, but when you take into account the you know how how long the Earth has been here, um, it's nothing. And, and how long even people have lived in North America. People have lived in North America what? And here I'm speculating a little bit because I don't know exact number. 20,000 years? I think they crossed over the Bering Straits somewhere around 20,000, maybe 15,000 years ago. What's 500 relative to 20,000? So it's, it's, the whole thing is meaningless. To say, I mean, it's interesting. Wow, it's a lot of rain. I mean, that's what it tells you, right? Because I've been in rainstorms in Texas, and when it rains in Texas, it rains in Texas. I, I tell people who, you know, sometimes it rains in California. Not very often, but sometimes. And I tell people, and it never really rains in California. It drizzles. You get a little wetness, wetness in the air. But when it rains in like the Midwest or in Texas or in it, I mean, man, what was the term? It raining cats and dogs. I mean, it really does. It, you know, the drops are the size of little cats and dogs. Anyway. It, it really, so it's interesting that it's, in spite of how much it sometimes rains in Texas, this is the most in 500 years. And it's scary for the people living there because that means that, that floodwaters could be the highest they've ever been. It could mean a lot of bad stuff. But, it, it you know, they're trying to connect this to, they're trying to inflict guilt. They're trying to cause you to feel, ooh, the worst in 500 years, we must have caused it. No, there's no way to extrapolate right. between those two. All right, Richard, do you have any other questions? Thank you. Sure. Oh, thank sure. you. That was great. Sure. All right. Um, let's uh, – we're going to hold off on uh, on Skyla and on Henry, who are both calling in until after uh, the break. We've got a break in by, about a minute and a half, and then I'll take you both uh, after that. So, um, yeah, I mean, this idea that every time something bad happens, it's our fault. It's so – it's so original sin kind of thing. It's so, it's so, you gotta feel guilty. And, and as a human being, anything bad that happens out there in the world must be your fault, must be our fault. It's, it, 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 it comes from that, you know, requirement to feel guilty about our lives that I guess we get from Christianity, maybe from other places as well. But, 
but it's so much, unfortunately, uh, a, a part of our lives. Uh, you know, always it's our fault. No, Mother Nature, not a mother, but nature, nature, you know, bad stuff happens. I mean, there's going to be a, a big earthquake in California. And, and it won't be anybody's fault. Although you can start feeling guilty now if you really want to. And I'm sure, I, I've even seen stories where um, climate change somehow causes earthquakes. And if it's not climate change, my guess it's going to be fracking. Fracking is going to cause the next big earthquake in California. Even though we've always known there's going to be a next big earthquake in California. We just do. It's just nature, right? There's going to be a massive hurricane that hits Texas, that hits Louisiana, hits Florida. Hey, Florida, you haven't had a, a real hurricane hit you in a long, long time. You do. Right now, statistics don't quite function that way. But yeah, at some point, they're going to get the earthquake. And But we always look to blame human beings. I mean, all right, uh, when I come back, I am going to blame some human beings. I'm going to blame um, for not for the not for the hurricane, but for the response to the hurricane and uh, why we're probably uh, going to see you know a, a mess afterwards. Why part of the disaster would have been averted if not for government action? Uh, so the the whole structure of incentives around living in places that are susceptible to these kind of natural disasters is all messed up. All right, you're listening to your own book show on the Blaze Radio Network, and we'll be right back. Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we're talking about Hurricane Harvey and uh, the devastation it's causing in Houston and, and uh, the kind of response we should have. And we're going to get into discussion of flood insurance and FEMA. But let me let me quickly take Henry's call from Virginia. Hi, Henry. You're on the Iran Book Show. Doing today. Oh, there we go. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How about you? Excellent. Doing pretty well. So I was on the new listener, and I was wondering if you could quickly speak to the the response and whether or not, you know, um, a response would fit into the objectivist ethic kind of in, with respect to humanitarian action. Because I've been reading actually a quite timely book called Doing Bad by Doing Good by Christopher Coyne, where he talks about how humanitarian action tends to fail, particularly state, state-led yes. uh, action. And I was wondering, but more specifically, if you could kind of speak to the kind of the philosophical or ethical, um, I guess, response to the sort of event which you can't know ex ante? No, that's that's a great question. So, look, uh, these are human beings that are suffering. Um, we are, uh, as, as life-loving human beings, objectivists, I think are extraordinarily benevolent. And, uh, and I, I, I feel legitimately, rationally sorry for the people who, whose lives are, are being, uh, uh, in some cases, destroyed, in some cases, um, uh, devastated by uh, by what is happening by 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 the weather, and it's no fault of their own. Assuming that, right? I mean, 
Some of them could have protected themselves better, but to some extent, uh, it's no fault of their own. And I am, I'm quite happy uh, to help in situations like this, to, to write a check to the Red Cross or to, to something like that. If not for, and I have to I have to add this, the fact that I'm already writing a damn big check uh, through my taxes that go to the federal government and the state government that go to all this stuff, and that the government is already taking money from me, supposedly to do exactly this. So I, I have to say that my benevolence is, uh, or my willingness to contribute to to help people who, for no fault of their own, uh, are suffering right now, is mitigated by the fact that I feel like. I gave at the office that, that they're already taking. They put a gun to my head and they've taken my money and and, and using it for these services. So if, if we lived in a truly free market, and, and I want to get to this also when we talk about FEMA and we talk about flood insurance. If we lived in a truly free market, then uh, I, I think we would all be incredibly generous because we would sympathize with other human beings who for no fault of their own are now – uh, you know, in, in trouble and, and in need. I, I don't think it's a moral claim against us. I don't think it's morally required to do so. I don't think if you don't give, you're, you're inherently a bad person. But I, but I also think that it's completely consistent with objectivism to, uh, you know, value human life and to say what's happened to these people is sad and I'd like to help them because I'm a human being and they're a human being. And you know what? Those people in Texas are damn productive and I benefit from them being able uh, to produce and to create and to build. My life is better off for the fact that they go and work in their refineries and their industries and they work at the port there. And uh, that, uh, that that's, to some extent, they are contributing to my well-being and therefore I am willing to help them out in a case of disaster. And this goes back historically to, to kind of how America's always been. I mean, if, if, if the neighbor's house was burned down by a fire, you know, the neighbors would all get together and go out and, and build a new house for them and help them build a new house. And I think that's what you benevolently do to your neighbors. It's, 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 uh, it's not about if my house burns down, then I expect my neighbors to come to me. Then you're, you're, you're creating this uh, atmosphere of, of, of people owing each other things and the benevolence goes out the window. No, it's an act of benevolence. It's an act of, uh, respect for other human beings, particularly if they're the, your neighbors, human beings hopefully you like, human beings who are productive, human beings who contribute to, to your life in some way. And I think in a, in a world in which we live in today, people who live in other places in America who are working for a living contribute to my life, and, and I'm willing to help them um, if, if they really suffer for you know, no fault of their own. And... Um, but again, I think that's mitigated by the fact that the federal government and the state government forces me already to to, to participate. So I don't I don't do charity, uh, yeah, because I, I feel like I give so much already. But building building kind of off of that point, that, that makes it a lot of sense, and that's a that's a great answer. Thank you. But kind of building off of that, would it be do you think too harsh to say that? So one of the points of the book that, that I've read is that humanitarian action on a state level tends to be uh, miserable and fail uh, without a doubt on yes. a number of different levels. And I was, do you think that's simply because of the, the, the philosophy behind that? Is it, is it, would it be fair to say that it's, it's ineffective because it's impractical and, you know, the good is the practical? Yeah, I mean, it's impractical because it's centrally planned. It's planned from afar. Uh, it's impractical because the bureaucrats have all the wrong incentives 
and uh, and uh, you know they 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 don't they don't exactly know necessarily what they're doing. Um, it's it's uh, impossible because they don't have the infrastructure to deliver. So we're going to talk to Skyler after the next break. But you know, like after Katrina, the first people to provide uh, goods in the New Orleans area was Walmart because Walmart knows logistics. They know infrastructure. They know how to do this. FEMA just doesn't have that skill set, and, and, and it can have that skill set because uh, uh, it's a government entity that is involved in force, not in providing goods and services. All right, we have to take a break here. We've got a hard break coming up. Skyler, hang on. We're going to come to you after the break. We're going to talk FEMA, flood insurance, and anything else you want to talk about related to this devastating hurricane. You're listening to your Ron Brooks show. Every, we're here every Sunday between 11 and 1 Pacific time. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brooks Show starts now. All right, we are talking about uh, Hurricane Harvey and the devastation in Houston. I just was looking during the break at some pictures of semi trucks uh, basically underwater and and uh, highways closed because of the flooding. It it looks like it's a major major disaster. And, and during the during the break, I also had a I had a, a Jordan Peterson moment. Um, some of you might know who that is, but uh, it within regard to the relationship between guilt and and whether. I, I think that if you think about it, this goes way back. This goes back to uh, the Old Testament, right? There is an Old Testament story that connects guilt, uh, human action with bad weather. And it's, it's a myth. It's a part of our mythology. It's part of our culture. It's part of the stories that we grow up with. And, and, uh, it's easy then, if you will, for the environmentalists to latch onto that and capitalize on it. Of course, I'm talking about Noah's Ark and, and the story of Noah's Ark, right? God basically says to Noah, uh, you know, humanity is is hopeless. They're, they're pathetic. They're, they're, they're awful, awful people. And, um, the, you know, I have to punish them and I have to destroy them. And you are a good guy. So I'm going to save you. And your family, but everybody else is going to die because they've been bad people. And how they're going to die? I'm going to, I'm going to pour rain all over them, right? So it's going to rain for forty days and forty nights, and it's going to flood everybody. So build an ark, and you can save yourself. Now think about that as a as a story at the heart of our culture, at the heart of our religion, at the heart of the last two thousand plus years of Western civilization. And it basically says when a natural disaster happens, when the weather is really, really, really bad, it could just be God punishing us. And we probably did something bad to deserve that punishment. Now, I, I haven't heard, Jordan Peterson has a whole uh, uh, lecture on, on Noah's Ark. I need to listen to that uh, in terms of mythology. But, but uh, it, it strikes me that this is deep, and, and my guess is Noah's Ark, by the way, is a story that is repeated in many uh, uh, 
ancient civilizations mythologies. It's not unique uh, to Judaism. It, it's not unique to the Bible. It, it's in, it's in many other places. So this relationship between how we act and the weather has a long, long history in our mythology and therefore in our psyche and therefore in our culture. And it's not surprising that the climate change people can leverage that, can use that fact to say you're misbehaving, you're burning fossil fuels, you're living well, you're, you're, you're reducing your risk of dying because of the weather, and God or nature or, or Mother Earth or whatever it is is now penalizing you for that fact. I never thought about the connection with Noah, so that's that's a new new thought coming out of uh, coming out of today's radio show. Uh, all right, hopefully a valuable one. All right, we're going to go to um, uh, one other point I wanted to make. Actually, let's go to Skylar, and I make the point answering Skylar's comment. Hey, Skylar, how's it going? Good afternoon, Doctor Brooke. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? I'm well. Uh, I just want to know on your list of the the myriad of agencies of the government that need to be dismantled and eliminated where yeah. does fema place well it, it certainly places uh, as one of the agencies that needs to go you know whether it places very high or not i don't know i mean, I mean it probably is not one of my first things that i would do although it's one of the easier ones to eliminate right uh, you know there's a whole slew of them from the from from uh um, I don't know, from the Department of Education to uh, FDA. FDA literally kills people. Now, FEMA does too, yeah. but, but on a much smaller scale. So, yeah, FEMA should be gone. And FEMA's easy, easy to replace. And, um, you know, uh, uh, so, so, so FEMA would be relatively easy to get rid of. And, but, but let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the government response to crises. Somebody asked earlier about this, and I think the important point to make here is that the essence of government, as George Washington told us, I think, in his uh, second inaugural address, the essence of government is force. The essence of government is a gun. And as such, it, it, has, no, uh, it has no place in, in disaster relief. Now, it has a place when disasters happen, right? You should see cops everywhere. Uh, keeping the peace. You should see, uh, you know, you should make sure there's, there's no looting like happened, uh, it like happens sometimes. Um, you know, saving lives if lives are in danger immediately. It's so kind of the emergency aspect of it. So you can see government with force and the, and the equipment of force, helicopters, things like that, are necessary uh, and security is necessary. Then I can see government has a role. But given the government is forced, given the government is a gun, it, it, it shouldn't be in the business of insurance. It shouldn't be in the business of rebuilding. It shouldn't be in the business of telling people how and where to live or how, uh, you know, it shouldn't be in that business at all. It just shouldn't be there. So you don't need FEMA. What you need is the National Guard out in the streets. I, I agree completely with that. You need the police full in force. Uh, and, and you need maybe the Coast Guard making sure that people are not, uh, are not drowning and can be saved, uh, you know, can be saved safely uh, when they're in trouble. But other than that, government just doesn't have a play, a role to play when natural disasters hit. And, 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 and I want to explore the ways in which government intervention actually makes these crises worse. Uh, and that's where I'm heading. Is that what you want to talk about, Skylar? Or any that's other questions? Yes, yeah, you answered my question sufficiently. Yes, sir. 
Good, good. Well, thanks for the call. Appreciate you listening. You. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, about this uh, you know this issue of flood insurance because uh, one of the one of the interesting things that's going to happen out of this politically is that the law uh, that uh, created federal uh, you know the federal government provides most of the flood insurance in the United States. The federal government has uh, has issued insurance. I don't even like to call it insurance because government can't do insurance, but it's a, it's a, a welfare fund for people who, who, uh, who get into, uh, you know, who, whose homes are flooded. Uh, they, they have three trillion dollars worth of coverage. That's the, that's what's they're liable for by total. Uh, five million policyholders, by far the largest insurers of flood is the government. Um, now, some interesting things about this. This uh, agency, the National Flood Insurance Program, is in the hole, it's in the red, for $24 billion. So it's, it's basically borrowed money from the Treasury. So it works supposedly like insurance. People pay in uh, premiums, and then when a flood happens, it gets paid out to them. But since the premiums are nowhere near high enough to cover the actual damages, uh, that then what the, what the, uh, and since this is a federal agency and it has a printing press in a sense, then what the government does is it borrows money from the treasury. It borrows money from itself to fund the liabilities. So when a flood happens like now in Houston, the, 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 the national Flood insurance program does not have enough money to pay off even the people who have policies with them, and they're going to have to take a loan from the Treasury. Now, they already owe the Treasury $24 billion, $24 billion. So they are constantly contributing to the increased debt that the federal government has uh, because, they, you know, imagine if this was a private company. They would have been bankrupt decades ago. This is an agency that's existed since a program that's existed since '68. They would have been they would have been toast a long, long, long time ago. So here's here's a, a you know this is an example of government force a gun trying to provide a market service insurance, and it's bankrupt. It's been bankrupt forever. And it's going to be even more bankrupt after these floods. They're still going to pay out because I'll just borrow money from the Treasury. But they are going to be bankrupt. What makes it interesting right now is that the so-called mandate runs out in September, and Congress is debating right now reforming the program before reauthorizing it. And it's going to be fascinating to see, and you will see, how all these so-called, not so-called, all these Republicans who are so-called free market types are going to embrace socialism when it comes to uh, natural national flood insurance program in September in order to reauthorize this and and recapitalize it with more of your hard-earned tax money. All right, you're listening to the Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We're going to take a quick break, and we get, we get back. I want to talk more about this flood insurance, the incentives it provides, and why it's bankrupt. We'll be right back. PhD, author, media contributor. 
This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. listening to the Iran Brooks show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we're back and we're talking about um, flood insurance in the context of what's going on in Houston right now. Uh, and uh, the just awful devastation that is going on over there. And uh, look, I, I mean, it's easy to just dismiss flood insurance, but I think it's interesting to look at the history and, and look at what it actually does and how damaging, how destructive, how stupid this policy really is. I mean, at the end of the day, this is massive redistribution of wealth, but it's 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 redistribution of wealth in in kind of weird directions, and it provides very bad incentives, and 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 uh, that's what I want to talk about. So, uh, the federal uh, the federal uh, flood insurance program was established in 1968. Turns out that in the 1960s there were a lot of floods. And, um, and it turned out that a lot of people were flooded in the Midwest and in the, in the, uh, in the, in the Gulf uh, area did not have insurance, uh, because they did not buy pi- private insurance. And in some cases, because private insurance was not available to them. And at this point, what you saw on television or what you heard in stories is people whose lives have been devastated, whose property had been destroyed by floods, by rain, by, by, you know, through flooding. And they had no recourse. There was no FEMA in those days. There was no, there was no uh, flood insurance uh, granted by the federal government. There was only private insurance, and many of these people just didn't have that private insurance, whether it's because they didn't buy it or, in many cases, because it just wasn't available because no private insurance companies would insure them. Why? Why wouldn't an insurance company insure somebody? Well, maybe because the risk was too high. Maybe because the risk was too high. And part of the problem with insurance is, with, with flood insurance is that the risk is geographically concentrated. So to really, um, <clears throat> do flood insurance in a private sector properly, you need to be able to do it across state lines in a variety of different geographies. There are regulations that make this difficult, but it just is difficult, right? Because people who want flood insurance are people who live in flood plains, who people who, people who are exposed to flood risk. I, I don't buy flood insurance in California where I live because, you know, I, I need fire insurance. I need earthquake insurance. I need maybe mudslide insurance, but I don't need flood insurance because I'm not going to flood. But people where they are going to flood are all going to want it at the same time, and there's going to be a certain concentration of them, and you need some good diversification needs some modeling also if you flood all the time i can't give you insurance insurance is not for something that happens every day or, or, or once a year insurance is come is something for things that are unusual extraordinary so instead of saying huh if private markets don't provide insurance here maybe it's because people shouldn't live here because the risks are too high Instead of that, what government decided and what I'm sure 
at the time, the press and uh, academics said, no, no, this is market failure. What, why, did, why is it market failure? This is typical of how they use market failure. There's a need. People need insurance, and the market's not providing the need. And therefore, it's a failure of the market. Yeah, there's a need, but it's an irrational need because the risk is too high, and that's why the market's not providing it, and nobody should provide it. And if somebody wants to live there, let them bear the risk. Let them suffer the consequences. But you see, we can't do that. You just can't do that. You can't say to somebody, bear the risk, suffer the consequences. Not in a world in which altruism, a morality that says that our moral responsibility is to take care of our brothers and sisters and, and neighbors and all Americans, really globally, every human being on the planet, you should take care of. A morality like that says, no, no, you, you, you need to protect them. You need to take care of them. And if they're not going to move, you can't tell them to move. It's their life. Who are you to tell somebody to move? And they're going to suffer. Then you need to remedy the suffering. And, and the way to remedy the suffering is to have the federal government step in and to tax us to take our money and so that these people can have it when they suffer. So the solution is a federal program to ensure people that the private market would not insure. And originally, that was a, a certain size population, not a massive population, because not a lot of people want to live in very risky areas when they can't buy insurance. So when the program is first instituted, very few people are part of the program because it's only those people who are really, you know, take risk takers and, and, and building on these things or people who didn't know how risky, um, how risky their property was. And they're the ones who buy this insurance. Now, Imagine what happens over time. Now I look at that, you know, coastal islands in North Carolina, and I say, oh, my God, there's some beautiful property over there. Yeah, it's on this island that's barely above sea level, but I can, I can, I can build the house a little high. And, yeah, you know, it, it might flood once in a while, but, but I can now buy insurance from the federal government, and it's actually pretty cheap. And so why not build my home there? And particularly if it's a vacation home and I actually don't live there most of the year. So when the hurricane hits, I'm not going to be there anyway. And uh, what, you, what you've seen is massive amounts of growth, massive amounts of buildings in high-risk areas for flooding. High-risk areas for flooding. Primarily by relatively wealthy people who are buying a second home and who then insure it with the federal government. Now, you would say some of these homes are uninsurable because they flood so often. But it turns out that it turns out that uh, the federal agency has to provide these these uh, these insurance policies. They can't say no. I didn't realize this until I started reading up on this. But it turns out that one of the differences between this federal program and real insurance is that they cannot deny coverage to especially risky properties with histories of repeated extensive floods. So there you go. They have to provide you with insurance. You could buy, build a house anywhere, right? Something that floods every year. And you can still get insurance, and every year it'll be covered, and every year you rebuild, and it's completely subsidized. It's... Um, 
un, unbelievable. This is fraud. This is redistribution of wealth. This is a scam on massive proposal. Right. And uh, so the government is, 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 so what's happened is we've seen large increases in the population now living or at least that have homes in places that have massive exposure to flooding, which is the exact opposite of what you actually want and the exact opposite of what private insurance would actually do because private insurance would not insure certain homes and therefore provide them a disincentive from building there and insurance premiums would be very high on homes that had a very high probability of flooding and that would provide a disincentive for building there. So you've got all the incentives screwed up. All right, we've got a hard break coming up here. Uh, you're listening to Iran Book Show. We're talking about flood insurance. And uh, we are going to take a quick break. This is Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. talking about uh, flood insurance and, uh, you know, the devastation of the flood in Houston and its consequences, at least when it comes to insurance. And we'll talk about FEMA in a little while. So, uh, I mean, this flood insurance makes no sense. Now, I want to make something clear. I want to emphasize something. I don't blame politicians for this, although, you know, they obviously share the blame for this. This is us. This is the voters. This is us demanding something be done. And I'm sure in the 60s when the flood happened, and uh, the, the government did nothing because the government had no role at the time. There was no FEMA and there was no, there was no federal flood insurance. Um, I'm sure there was a huge outcry. Oh, my God, people are suffering. Somebody has to do something. And instead of people actually going and writing a check and helping their fellow man out, they demanded federal programs. They demanded the government do something. And I bet you Republicans and Democrats voted for this. This is this probably passed with a big majority. This is the morality of altruism. This is the idea that when something bad happens to somebody else, it's your moral responsibility to do something. And since we all know that most of us are too selfish to do anything, we just delegate it to the government to do it for us. Delegate it to the government to force us, to curse us, to take care of the situation. That's how all these programs coming to being time and time and time again. And again, we'll get to, to, to how FEMA works in a minute if we have time. Um, so the flood insurance, right? Not only they have to provide it to whoever wants it, but in addition to that, about 20% of all policies are subsidized, explicitly subsidized. There's a government subsidy because there's some rule that says that FEMA is required to subsidize policies for properties constructed or substantially renovated before 1975. So if you have an old place, you get a government subsidy. Instead of telling you to knock it down or the fact that you have an old place that doesn't meet standards, uh, we can't insure it. No, we do the opposite, exact opposite of what a market would do. 
We tell you, oh, no, you're going to get a subsidy. Because I don't know why. Because. Right? Also, uh, there's, there's all these issues about maps, flood maps, flood zones that FEMA puts out. And uh, where you fall in these maps determines the riskiness for floods, which will determine the rate that you get. And again, this is FEMA doing it. It's not market. It's not insurance companies. So you know the rates are all going to be screwed up. But the idea is because FEMA didn't have these maps before 1975, then it's not your fault, and therefore we need to take care of you, and therefore we're going to subsidize you. So we're talking about a system that makes no sense. Uh, by the way, um, wealthy of households benefit disproportionately from from this program. They own many of the homes that insured. And by the way, for example, in Houston right now, over 80% of the homes are not insured through this program, are not insured at all. And, and part of the reason for that, in my view, is because of FEMA, which steps in and helps you out after disaster, and therefore your incentive to even buy insurance goes down. So this program is bankrupt. It makes no sense. It provides the wrong incentives. It's distortive, and everybody knows this. This is not a secret. You can look it up online. And there's a bunch of stories just before the hurricane hit Houston on how this program is completely already in bankruptcy and is this is going to make it so much worse, and the Congress is debating what to do about it. And, of course, who's stopping real reform or privatization. Real privatization would be the solution, right? Just give it to private insurance markets. Make sure they're not heavily reg they're not regulated, that they can function freely, and let them determine the insurance rates for all these properties and provide the right rational incentives because that's what markets do. Who's objecting to this? Well, of course, it's Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, the free market guy, right? Uh, from the state of Florida, because. A lot of these homes are in the state of Florida, and God forbid he should vote for free markets if it's if it's expense, in quotes, of some of his voters. Elizabeth Warren, who's just who just wants government to control everything, why 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 stop at insurance? I don't know if she's here in in this article. It says she's a coastal senator. I don't think Massachusetts gets much flooding. Maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't strike me as that. Anyway, and. Because a lot of the beneficiaries of the subsidy and because of the beneficiaries of this insurance are wealthy, they lobby heavily. There's a massive lobby to not reform this program, to not make it market-based, to not privatize it. And, and that's why it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Add to that the altruism. Add to that that we've got a catastrophe right now where there are going to be pictures of people suffering all over the media for weeks. No way. No way is this program going to be reformed. I don't care who's in the White House, right? I mean, and, and Trump, it, it, not exactly a free market guy anyway. All right, let's quickly take a call from Jennifer in Michigan. Hey, Jennifer. Hey. Hey, you've got an interesting question about disasters. Yes, about evacuation. I was wondering, do the authorities, do you think they have the right to ask to force you to evacuate? And if you refuse, are they then obligated to rescue you if you get in trouble? Yeah, good question. So, so my view is no, they do not have the right to force you to evacuate. They certainly should encourage you to evacuate, but not to force you to evacuate. But if they warn you and they say you should evacuate, if there's a so-called mandatory evacuation notice, 
and you don't evacuate, then you're on your own. No firefighter should risk his life to save you if you were told to evacuate and you did not. No uh, Coast Guard should, should, should risk their life to try to, to try to save you off of a roof if you were told to evacuate and you did not. So uh, no duty on the contrary. I would say if you're, they should focus on those places where they didn't warn them or they should, where, where people's lives are threatened, but um, not protect the people who didn't listen to them. Now, sometimes authorities screw up. Like It's not clear what people in Houston were told. The governor said evacuate. And then the mayor said, don't evacuate. So, you know, when the government is that confused and that uh, uh, unclear, then I don't think you can blame people for not having evacuated. So, but if there's a, in California, we call it a mandatory evacuation order because of a fire. If that, if, if they deliver that and you don't evacuate, tough, tough. Right? <laughs> yes, I 100% agree. All right. Good. Thanks, Thank Jennifer. You. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. Uh, and uh, you guys listening to you're listening to your own book show. This is the Blaze Radio Network. We're going to take a quick break here. And I want to when I come back, wrap this up, talk about FEMA, talk about the rotten incentives they provide, talk about what the alternative to FEMA is. Uh, we know what the alternative to government mandate to government provided uh, flood insurance. But what's the alternative to you know, marching to the rescue once a catastrophe has done, uh, what could replace FEMA? All right, listening to your Book Show, we'll be right back after this. these messages. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. All right, this is the Yaron Brooks Show. We're talking about the hurricane that hits uh, Houston, the flooding, the, the disaster that's happening there, and, and, and the added disaster, which is the federal government uh, intervening in the whole process through uh, flood insurance and, and through FEMA. And, of course, the question is, and, and remember, FEMA, by um, providing assistance after the fact, and uh, providing loans and loan guarantees and just outright cash to people uh, disincentivizes people from seeking out insurance. I mean, we have the same thing here in California where uh, earthquake insurance is expensive as it should be because it's earthquakes. But uh, part of and, – and part of the problem, again, is, is uh, diversification. You, you, if you're an insurance company, you can't have all your customers in California because one major earthquake happens in California – it could be a real disaster to a big part of your uh, paying base. So you have to, you have to be able to be a national entity. You have to be able to sell earthquake insurance in other parts of the country. Other parts of the country don't have as much earthquake risk. So it's 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 difficult because it's so highly correlated. So instead, the government steps in. It takes over earthquake insurance. Most people just don't buy it because they figure FEMA will bail them out. So why even buy it? So now. The government has this earthquake insurance. They haven't gotten enough premiums to pay out. So as soon as the next earthquake happens, they're going to be completely bankrupt, completely bankrupt. And they're going to pay us, but they're going to pay us by 
taking on debt at the state level. So just wait until the next big earthquake in California could bankrupt the state. The next hurricane in Florida could bankrupt the state of Florida Florida, because Florida has, I think Florida has uh, um, insured all the insurance companies. So it's it's just a mess. Government, just stay out of it. Don't regulate. Don't control. Just stay out of it. Markets can handle this beautifully. And and this relates to to this issue of FEMA. What happens when you have a disaster like this? Who who would help people? I and mean, people need help. I'm not denying that people really need help. Who would help them if there wasn't a FEMA? If there wasn't a federal government? Well, a good example of this is the 1906. Uh, San Francisco earthquake and fire. Uh, the fire followed the earthquake where about 30,000, uh, sorry, 3,000 people died. And about 80% of the city of San Francisco was destroyed. 1906, 3,000 people died. 80% of the city was destroyed. Uh, one of the worst natural disasters in American history. I think the worst is, is the Galveston uh, hurricane that we talked about um, earlier in the show. And what happened? There was no federal programs. There was no uh, state, federal insurance schemes. Uh, you know, I don't. I, there was some insurance, but not well-developed insurance markets. So what happened? Well, there was a massive private response. Um, a lot of the very wealthy industrialists of the time, those horrible people that we like to call rubber barons, stepped in and wrote big checks to help. So they 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 funded relief efforts provided by organizations like the Red Cross, by private charity. The railroads. Railroads stepped in and landed up evacuating over 200,000 people from the disaster area, free of charge. Johnson & Johnson, which was even then was a big consumer products company, relatively new at that time, um, rushed in with supplies far faster, far more efficient, than anything FEMA could do because they were in the business of logistical supplies. And, and in those days, logistics was woo, right? Horse and carriage, maybe. Oh, well, there was railroads, railroads, right? But still, hard stuff, hard stuff. Um, and private charity, Red Cross and other private charities stepped in and helped out. And people, people helped rebuild the city. Private businesses came in and rebuilt the city. Because of the value that San Francisco represented, the, the, the ports, the location, uh, and, and it was all rebuilt in spite of the danger of a future earthquake happening again. Without federal help, without billions of dollars, without flood insurance or earthquake insurance for that matter, right? Um, so in, in today's dollars, people estimate the property damage from the San Francisco earthquake to be $10.7 billion. Insured losses at the time. So I guess there was a lot of insurance. So I'm wrong. There was a lot of insurance. Insurance industry sources tallies, uh, the equivalent of $6.26 billion, right? So there was. So a lot of it was covered by insurance. And people stepped in and, and San Francisco was built in one of the most magnificent cities in the world today. So... Private enterprise, private insurance. All the government has to do is get out of the way and insure security. What they didn't do in, 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 uh, in New Orleans. Insure safety. Right? Allow 
for the Walmart to, 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 to be able to get there, make sure that they're safe in opening up the storm, the stores uh, after a disaster. After Katrina, the first supplies to get to, uh, to get to New Orleans were from Walmart. So get the government out, the government gun, government force, government coercion, and that's what government is. I'm not attacking government. I'm, I, I believe government is a necessary good. Good for what it does well, which is protect us. Protect us from physical force, not protect us from nature. Protect us from physical force. Do the policing, the military, and the arbitration of disputes. And there would be a lot of disputes after a hurricane or earthquake, I'm sure. But stay out of insurance markets. Stay out of humanitarian relief. Stay out of things that voluntary markets do. Are the only ways in really which we can deal with. Stick to protecting individual rights. All right. We're about to wrap up here. We're about to run out of time. I want to make this point. The central problem that we face, the original sin from a Noah's Ark perspective, is altruism. Altruism makes it possible for government to intervene here. Altruism demands that government intervene here. It's the morality of altruism that creates the demand for big, intrusive, unlimited government. And government can only grow and will only grow. Republicans, Democrats, doesn't matter. Right, left, doesn't matter. As long as altruism is the morality of the land. And altruism is dominant both on left and on right. Another way in which I am different from left and right. I'm an egoist. I believe in rational, long-term egoism. All right. The only place in the world you'll hear this stuff. You're listening to the Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be back next Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. See you then. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.